Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Okay, well, welcome to July. You know, we're here, middle, middle of the year. Um, July 4th, right around the corner, Ryan. I know, it's hard to believe we're already halfway through this year. It's flown by. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of shocking. Um, we're COVID, hopefully, is mostly behind us, and uh, we're uh, into a new summer. Hopefully, got big plans for the 4th of July. Um, you know, sports-wise, uh, gee, the Travelers Championship last week was pretty interesting. You know, eight-hole playoff where wow. Harris English beat uh, Kramer Hickok, I think was his name. So that was an amazing thing. And, and the uh, NBA is having their finals yep. right now, um, finishing that up, I think. Um and, I mean, Major League Baseball is kind of pressing on. Pressing on, about to get to the uh, All-Star Weekend coming up a few weeks. So, yeah, sports are pressing on, lots going on. Yeah, and speaking of lots going on, we got a great show lined up for today with a lot going on. Um, you know, we're going to start off talking about uh, the mid-year money checkup. Yeah, that's right. So, just, you know, we are money doctors here, and just like with your health, you want to get a check up every year well it's good at the half point of the year to get a money checkup so we'll be talking about a few things you can be doing uh to make sure you're on track for the year yeah i think that's gonna be a great topic and then we're gonna follow that up with money mistakes how to avoid them um you know and just to look back at last year and some of the classic mistakes that were made last year in the market and uh you know and how to avoid those going forward because a lot of people it's very easy to get get kind of psychologically tricked into making moves trying to anticipate things and a lot of times those don't work out very well so no, not at all so we'll cover those by the way i'm steve marbert i'm a certified financial planner and a dave ramsey smart vester pro with over 26 years in providing financial planning and investment advice and i'm ryan borders i'm also a certified financial planner and also a dave ramsey smart vester pro yeah, and we're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon, and you can check us out on our website. We have all of our past shows right there on the website, um, Ryan. They're laid out in you know by topics, so you can go back and search the topics. And, and you know, there, we have hundreds of shows. We've been doing this for over 10 years now, so lots of shows to go listen to, lots of information out there. And do check us out on our website. You can uh, send us your questions. You can link to us there. We'd love to hear from you. And we will talk about those right here on the show. Well, Ryan, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, so this is a pretty interesting fact. So, you know, markets tend to recover relatively quickly after downturns. So on average, and we're just looking from 1950 to 2019, you know, stock market corrections, which are 10% or more, happen about once a year, Steve, and have lasted on average, you know, just about three and a half months. So it recovers a lot faster than you might think. Yeah, it's a very normal part of the investing process. And, and, and a lot of people don't realize that. They think that, you know, an a 8, 10% drop in the market is something, you know, unusual. Um, and they try to avoid it. But actually, I mean, it happens almost every single yep. year. Um, and I can't tell you how many summers I've seen that it happen. Hopefully it won't happen this summer, <laughs> yeah. but uh, I don't mean to be forecasting here, but uh, it could, you know, but just keep in mind, I mean, three and a half months is very quick, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's down and it's fully recovered in three and a half months um, on average. That, that's just that's just short. And that includes some of them that were, lo were long. I think if you look at the median one, I bet it's even quicker than that. So, yeah. 
it's just a normal part of the process. And, and yes, we probably will have a pullback at some point here. But, uh, at the same time, um, markets normally recover, as we just mentioned. So good fact of the week. And that leads up here to our first topic, uh, the mid-year money checkup, five things to review now. That's right. So, you know, summer is a good time to catch up on your to-do list. And, you know, on the way to, you know, one thing you want to look at is even at your finances. So you want to make a good checkup. So these are five things we're going to look at. Um, This comes from Fidelity, um, where we got this from. So uh, the first thing you want to look at is, you know, reviewing your financial goals. So first thing is you probably have several savings goals and accounts. Um, Your mid-year financial review should revisit each of your priorities. Um, You know, since your ability to save may be affected by your spending. It can make sense to review your spending for the year, you know, see how it lines up with your plan. You know, if expenses have gotten out of hand, you know, you want to look for ways to pare it back. You know, next you want to look at how you're able to save for each of your goals. If your life situation has changed, you know, you can make adjustments if necessary. It can be important to go through this exercise even though nothing has changed. You just want to make sure you're on track. Um, So it's important to make retirement savings a priority as, you know, your main thing. But then after that, you know, looking at your budget. You just want to make sure you're following that, make sure you're on track, um, just to make sure you finish the year strong. Yeah, and at the same time, you want to check your beneficiaries um, on your accounts and make sure all your accounts have a beneficiary, no matter what age you are. Um, yeah, your beneficiary designations, they totally supersede your will. Um, they'll control where your money goes if something happens to you or when something happens to you when you pass away. And um, you know, even brokerage accounts, regular bank accounts, you can list a TOD designation. That's transfer on death, where they will they will you see you're listing beneficiaries, so it'll go directly to them and bypass probate. Um, so you want to make sure all of your accounts are titled properly as well, and uh, but you have beneficiaries listed, and then also check your investments. And um, this is a great time to see what you what you own, ensure that your investment mix continues to meet your, your needs um, and make sure you're at the right risk level. Um, start by assessing your mix of stocks, bonds, cash. Make sure that it matches, you know, what you're comfortable with. I mean, well, last year was a great example of what a bad year looks yep. like. So now you ought to, that ought to still be fresh on your mind. <laughs> Think back to last year. How comfortable were you with that downturn that we had last year? You know, if now that we've fully recovered from that, if you weren't comfortable, maybe you need to dial it back a little bit. But it's a great time mid-year here after we've had a great start to the year to reassess your investment risk. Um, I, I think that's just a great thing to do. Yeah, and it's also a good idea to review your investment mix, um, you know, compared to the target you're aiming for. So, for example, you know, if you have 60% of your portfolio devoted to stock and it's now at 70%, you could consider rebalancing. So, rebalancing is something you want to look at at least quarterly, and um, it's a good thing to look at at that mid-year review. So, number three is to get a tax break. We're all in favor of that. So, you know, a simple way to reduce your taxes is to take advantage of opportunities of um, lowering your tax bill by looking at things like contributing to your 401k or your IRA. This is a great way to save on your tax bill for the year. Um, You might also want to look at, if you have a high deductible plan, look at contributing towards an HSA. So if you look at a taxpayer that's in the marginal tax rate of 24%, you know, you could really potentially be saving $240 on taxes for every thousand in pre-tax dollars contributed to that HSA or to a 401k. Um, so you want to really take advantage of those pre-tax plans that you have. 
Yeah, and then if you have a retirement plan at work, you know, you also want to make sure that you're contributing at least enough to get your entire match from your employer. You know, a lot of employers will match 3% or even more into your plan. And so you got to make sure you contribute that amount to at least get your match. Um, and if you can save more, I mean, one option is to contribute to your HSA plan um, if you have one. If you're if you have a qualifying health plan and you have a HSA plan, make that contribution. It's totally tax free. It it uh, it's an adjustment to your gross income, so it's like a full tax deduction right up front. Um, and so you can change that contribution anytime. So make sure you're making a full contribution to that if you're able to. And um, you know, and then uh, also just uh, protect what's yours. Um, you know, I mean, it's wise to evaluate your insurance needs annually. Make sure that you have the right amount and the type of insurance to cover your unforeseen circumstances that can derail your finances. I mean, life insurance is a great place to start. I mean, if your family's growing, you might want to increase the amount of life insurance to protect your loved ones and your spouse. Um, and then life insurance is mainly, though, designed to replace lost income. So look at your income Figure out how much it would take to replace that. Make sure you have enough insurance to to replace that for your loved ones so that, you know, they can get by. And then as you get older, you know, there are a few few years you have fewer years of income um, for the future. Then you can, you know, decrease that amount of insurance. Yeah. A few other insurance things you could look at is one is long term care insurance um, insurance. You just want to make sure you're on track with that, um, that you could cover if something. Uh, you know, as you get older, that you can cover your care costs. Another thing to look at is, you know, disability insurance. So a lot of people have this through their work, but it might be a good idea just to look at it, make sure you're covered well. If something were to happen and you couldn't work, that you could pay yourself for that time, uh, that time being. So you just want to make sure that you review all your different insurance policies um, at that mid-year review. Um, and finally, um, the number five, our last thing on the mid-year review is review the important paperwork. So thinking about a will, healthcare proxy, power of attorney can be kind of an uncomfortable topic. We see this time and time again uh, when we meet with clients. Um, but, you know, you want to consider what's the alternative here. Do you really want the courts making a decision like who takes care of your kids if something were to happen to you? So it's important to make sure that those documents are up to date. Um, so if you were incapacitated or something like that, you, your, your wishes are granted. Um, you know, all these documents are part of an estate plan, which is something that everyone could use. Yeah, that's right. So if you have these documents in place, you know, re review your paperwork and think about your life events that you've been through, like marriage, divorce, um, birth, death. I mean, all of those are the big events. Mm -hmm. And hopefully I haven't been through death yet. <laughs> you know, think about the big life events, though, and how they can affect your plan and what's going to happen if the, if you do go through those. And make sure that the people you care about know where to find relevant documents and your information, too. I mean, consider using a secure virtual safe, um, such as a uh, uh, to such a, as a, it's a safe, it's a virtual safe, sorry, on your computer. You can store copies of all your important documents, um, like your passwords, financial statements, and wills. Yeah, so while these aren't necessarily the fun summer topics people like to talk about, it is important, and it is worth it. So it might sound like a lot of ground to cover, but, you know, make sure you do have a little bit of a mid-year checkup, at least, to make sure you are on track with your goals, um, and to make sure you finish that second half of the year strong. Yep. All right. Great topic. And that leads us up here to our question of the week. And so the question is, how do you budget when you have irregular income? 
In other words, um, you know, your income isn't steady. So say you're on commissions, you know, and you have, you're a real estate agent maybe, and you have, it's feast or famine, right? You know, and during normal times, I know right now it's all feast for real estate yeah. agents, right? It's been great, <laughs> but, uh, but normally it's not, right? So how do you budget for that? Well, I mean, I think you have to look back, Ryan, I think you have to kind of average things out, right? You have to kind of think of, you know, what does my average month look like? What does my average year look like? And then you got to have a budget for that. And if you really have a, a very irregular income, you have to have a big emergency fund. Yes. Because you can have these dry spells, you know, where you don't, you know, sell a house for three months or whatever. I don't, I don't know how that goes for, for real estate agents. But you got to plan for those dry spells, have a big emergency fund, and then kind of be on the conservative side, you know, when it comes to your income. Create a budget around that, a monthly budget. And uh, but you're going to have to build up a big reserve if if your income is not steady. Yeah. Another thing you can do is base it off of your lowest paid month. Um, if, if that's, you know, a budget you could live off of and that's a safe way to do it and, you know, save extra whatever you make over. Um, but, yeah, you want to make sure you do have that good reserve for an emergency fund to cover those months that you might not make as much. Yep, that's exactly right. All right, great question. And that leads us up here to our next topic, and that is money mistakes and how to avoid them. And this is based on an article out of Bottom Line Inc. Um, pretty recently. But, Ryan, you know, in the in the face of last year's upheaval and the enormous financial challenges that we had, um, it was easy for investors, homeowners, consumers, savers to, to misstep. You know, it's really easy to let your emotions get the best of you and to throw you off your, your journey um, mm -hmm. to financial security. So it's tempting, you know, during these tumultuous times to look at the economy, get overconfident about, you know, what's getting ready to happen next. I mean, we hear it all the time, you know, the market can't keep going up, you know, um, or the bubble's about to burst on this, on this market or on the other extreme, you know, um, you know, there's no limit to how high this can go. Um, you know, the fundamentals, uh, really don't matter um, anymore. So, you know, I mean, sometimes you, you people are overly optimistic like that. Um, and it's, so it's amazing how quickly people forget the lessons of the past. So here are several examples from advisors around the country last year of investors who got burned um, here recently. So first one is an investor, the investor who never looked back who never got back into the market. Mm. I mean, we've seen this. I know clients that did this, that went to cash, and then Ouch. you just can't can't bring yourself to get back in. Well, so this is an example of a 55-year-old engineer out in California um, who, who you know, called his advisor last March after the stock market had plunged 34%. Um, you know, it turns out he had liquidated all of his retirement portfolio in 2008. Mm. Okay, we're talking Ouch. about the previous bear Yikes. market. Long time ago. Um, during that bear market, he left the entire amount, $1.5 million, sitting in a money market fund for 12 years. Wow. So much of that time earning almost no interest, right? So he totally missed the longest bull market in history, and he was waiting for the perfect time to get back in. So now he was wondering if he had finally found that time. Um, he said, I'm 100% cash. Um, he said, I think it's finally the right time for me to invest. And so the advisor suggested that he start slowly, get back into the market. You know, he's sending the paperwork. And then he says, there's radio silence. Mm. Nothing, right? Oh, <laughs> I've experienced that where you send clients something and you get nothing back. Oh, and, yeah. 
you're like, oh, you're really not going to do this. You know? <laughs> and then so when I finally, when he finally reached out to him a few weeks later, um, <clears throat> he said, the guy said, I'm sorry, I just can't do it. I think the market could fall even further. Oh. And, and that's the thing, you know, and this was March of last year when the market was down 40 percent and it pivoted. And from March through October, the S&P had risen about 50 percent. I mean, we're actually if you had invested back last March in a diversified portfolio, you're up over 100 percent today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, if you did the la- right, up, you know, near the bottom. So it potentially cost him hundreds of thousands of dollars in lost profits and he's still sitting on the sideline. And that's what happens when you get trapped in something emotionally, mm-hmm. it's hard to unwind it because yeah. emotionally you have to admit that you were wrong all that time. Yes. And uh, it's just really tough to, to fix it. Yeah. So the painful lesson here, you know, most long-term investors should stay the course through the market downturns because it's impossible to time the market during these downturns. So your emotions will prevent you from making a good decision when it comes to timing because it always feels like the market will drop further or not go up as fast as it does. You know, furthermore, even if you sell at a good time, you still have to buy in at a good time. That's the key. You have to be right twice. So timing always requires two good decisions, and that is very, very difficult to achieve. Uh, Markets have returned around 10% per year. Uh, for the past hundred years, so you don't have to try to time the market to be successful when you're investing. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, so yeah, that guy really yeah. shot himself in the foot. <clears throat> Hopefully, you haven't had that same experience out there if you're listening. Um, and then the next um, next example is a badly timed retirement distribution. Um, so this is an executive in his late 40s in New York City, lost his job during the recession. Um, This past year, he found himself in debt. And so when Congress passed the CARES Act a little over a year ago, allowing the penalty-free distributions from his retirement account for those that were affected by the pandemic, um, it seemed like to him, you know, tapping his 401k was a convenient and great solution. Um, So the new law allowed him to avoid taxes on his distribution if he returned the money within three years. And he figured that would that he have a job pretty soon. So he took the maximum $100,000 distribution, figuring that it was a, he was getting basically a tax-free, interest-free loan without compromising his retirement plan too much. Um, he didn't even consider what it would cost his 401k and missing the recovery with that $100,000 in the market. Um, and, you know, he also just didn't consider other solutions such as negotiating, renegotiating his debts, cutting back on his lifestyle expenses, didn't consider any of that. Unfortunately, his financial situation declined precipitously. Um, within months, he had to declare bankruptcy. Ouch. Um, so not only did the bankruptcy court take what was left of his distribution, um, to partially pay off his creditors. But he also faces stiff tax liability on his 401k money that he withdrew because now he couldn't repay the money. Ouch. So, yeah, your 401ks and IRAs have advantages beyond just tax deferred appreciation. The asset in those assets in those accounts generally are protected by federal law from creditors and bankruptcy proceedings. But you really want to recognize that the, one of the big things here is the misreturn and opportunity Um the cost of taking money out of your investments. So the reason for tapping these accounts early, you know, continues to be a bad idea despite the efforts of Congress. You know, that's really at the last resort um, when you want to take money out of these accounts because you're missing out on market appreciation and really hurting your overall plan. And like we said, you know, 
he went to bankruptcy and lost that money rather than it being protected um, from federal law. Yeah, I mean, bad situation there. Um, you just don't want to take loans from your 401k if you can all avoid it. I mean, you're taking money, you know, and you're you're basically taking it out of the market. And then it, it doesn't, um, you know, even if you can pay the money back, um, it's just there's opportunity cost involved there. So think long and hard about that before you take money out of your 401k in any way, shape or form. Um, and then our next example here is a pricey vacation home that was bought out of the fear, out of fear and boredom. Um, so it's a 40 year old consultant who spent months stuck inside of her home in Dallas um, during the pandemic, living, you know, in a big crowded city with little to do um, increasingly felt like it was, it was uh, no longer worth it, you know, worth the health risk of staying in there. So he wanted an escape, and he bought a cabin in Colorado hmm. where his family liked to go on ski vacations. The real estate prices um, there were shooting up, of course, because so many urbanites, you know, had the same need for safety and outdoor amenities. Um, so, in fact, the cabin cost him nearly as much as his Dallas home. So, needless to say, it was... A lot more than a cabin should cost because the demand was super high. Um, so while he didn't feel he did feel better about owning his getaway home, the realities of maintaining a second residence in another state quickly became a burden. I mean, he had to furnish the cabin. Um, he had to oversee some renovations and repairs, which you always have when you move yep. somewhere, um, typically. And you know, the longer work hours to cover two mortgages, you know, just made it harder for him to enjoy it. Yeah, so the big lesson here is, you know, if you are wanting to make an emotional purchase, choose something that has maybe less of a long-term consequence. So if you maybe you could drop a few thousand bucks on a Peloton bike, or maybe you could go on a really nice vacation, you know, things that are expensive, but, you know, it doesn't have as long-term uh, of effect on your budget and on your life. You know, like most situations, the pandemic is you know, was not permanent. Um, really, we're coming out of that now. And you don't want to put yourself in and making a decision that has more permanent consequences on your budget, on your financial plan. Um, so maybe look for something that's a little less um, long term for you. Right. Yeah. And I see that a lot, you know, where people take their immediate situation and they extrapolate it way into the future. Yeah. You know, and so, I mean, yeah, just recognize that, you know, whatever situation you're in today, it's going to change next year. It will be totally different. Yep. You know, things change fast. Don't make rash emotional decisions based on, you know, what you're going through today. That's not your long-term future, most likely. Absolutely. So uh, good one there. And uh, another example here is a senior citizen who preferred paper over digital transactions. Um, so we know plenty of seniors yeah. that fall in this category, unfortunately, you know, and a lot in my own family too. And, but yeah, so this was an 80 year old woman in work, uh, Westchester, uh, County, New York. Um, she resisted all of her family's efforts to help her use her computer and iPhone to manage her personal finances. Um, you know, she was no Luddite as she puts it here, you know, and she loved communicating via FaceTime, though, with her grandkids, so she could use FaceTime, so she got yeah. had a smartphone. There you go. Um, but, you know, she just felt more comfortable and, con and, and confident paying her bills, filing her taxes the old-fashioned way with paper. You know, so this year, however, this, this past year, um, you know, those habits made her personal finances increasingly difficult, of course, with the pandemic. It's created a lot of anxiety. 
um, and late fees, unfortunately. So what happened was the woman who had always um, sent her federal taxes in to the IRS via paper return and uh, received a physical refund check, um, you know, it didn't go so well during the pandemic. Um, it took several months longer this year, this past year, to receive her refund and her $1,200 federal stimulus check. Uh, then it took our friends who had already set it up for direct deposit with the IRS and they received their money electronically, you know, very quickly. Um, and then in addition to that, there was the dramatic cost savings measures by the U.S. Postal Service that slowed delivery of the mail. Um, so she paid numerous late fees for bills that she mailed by paper that never got there in time and got there past the deadlines. So, yeah, it was kind of a trap for folks that were relying on paper. Yeah, and i got to be careful here, but, you know, the lesson here is stop saying you're old school and clinging to the old world of paper. Sure, you know, it's nice to see your favorite teller at the bank. There's certain um, learning curve whenever, you know, you are using electronics for the first time, especially with trust. Um, but digitizing your personal finances offers two critical advantages. It is much faster, and it's efficient and easier to organize documents. Um, and then, you know, when you see when you retrieve um, your them and your bills, it's um, it allows family members you trust to help oversee and participate in your financial life. So it just gives you a lot uh, more simplicity and it's easier to track all these things when it is all digital. Right. Yeah. You have to embrace change. And I think, um, you know, it's inevitable. And uh, the digital world really does make life a lot easier. Oh, yeah. um, so you really need to step it up if you're not if you're not embracing you know the, what you can do with your phone nowadays and <laughs> with your computer because it makes life a lot easier it really does i mean there's even an argument so, it's even more safe with the like, encryptions of electronic it, things exactly the only time i've had a, 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 a any fraudulent activity in one of my accounts was when i had a physical check stolen out of my mailbox yep yep yeah. Other than that, I've never had anything online where they physically accessed my account and, and, you know, took money or, you know, I've had credit cards stolen. But again, it was a physical, somebody physically stole my credit card. They didn't mm -hmm. steal my number. So <laughs> there you go. All right. And then the last one here is the man who mimicked the moves of stock market geniuses, as he thought. Um, so as a 50-year-old engineer from New Jersey who loved his uh, driving his Tesla electric car <laughs> after researching the company, you know, he bought shares of stock last year. And, um, you know, in early 2000, he had an interview, though. He heard an interview with Charlie Munger, the vice chairman of Berkshire, Hath Berkshire Hathaway, who had mentioned that he would never own Tesla, that he would only own you know, him and uh, Warren Buffett said that they uh, that they they really liked airline stocks is really the bottom line. American Delta, U.S. Air. This was the begin. This is the beginning of last year before the pandemic. OK. And so, you know, they've been performing really well in their portfolio, they said. So he heard that he heard that interview. And uh, of course, so he went out and he bought he sold his Tesla stock and he went out and he bought the airline stocks. Um, but then in May, Buffett reported that they had liquidated their position of the sure. airline stocks. <laughs> well, that was a little late, you know, so the engineer immediately followed suit. He, uh, he sold his, his, his value of the airline stocks, but unfortunately he lost half the value in those investments. Mm -hmm. Um, so through the first nine months of the year, Tesla rose more than 400%. So if he just stuck with what he had, he would have made a killing, um, 
But the four major airline stocks, you know, they they fell, of course, 27 to 59 percent, even despite the rebound uh, that summer. So the lesson was, you know, the real lesson is you need to stay diversified and you need to adapt to the proven principles of the experts instead of trying to copy their moves. No matter how much you trust their skill and their records, as so-called experts, they probably have different objectives than you do. You know, their time horizon is different. Their risk tolerance is different. Um, they certainly have access to more information. I mean, for example, you know, Buffett had started loading up on airline stocks back in 2016, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and he was sitting on some huge gains in those stocks. Um, you know, also, I mean, those airline stocks were a small fraction of Berkshire Hathaway's overall portfolio, <laughs> Um, And also, I mean, trying to copy someone's moves almost always means you're acting on outdated information, Um, you know, and they routinely don't reveal those trades till after they make them. So, you know, stay diversified in funds that offer thousands of stocks. Don't try to handpick individual stocks, Um, you know, for the vast majority of your retirement savings. Stay diversified. Follow the proven principles. As we've said, the stock market will make you successful over time. You don't have to try to outguess it by picking the right stocks or timing the market. Yeah, the old saying, there's nothing new under the sun, and I think that one was very much that. (laughs) Yes, for sure. Okay. All right, and that leads us up to our final thing here, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, so going back to this mid-year review, you know, the prescription of the week is to consider sitting down and reviewing your budget and goals for the year now that we're halfway through 2021. You know, make sure you're on track to hit your goals uh, for the year so you can close the second half of the year strong. You know, be aware of things, you know, things do change, you know, so you want to give yourself some grace and know that priorities change and that's okay, but maybe it might make sense for you and your spouse to go sit down for dinner, maybe a cup of coffee and just review your goals to make sure you're on track. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great time of the year to do that. Um, so I would highly suggest sit down, look at your big picture, look at what you want to accomplish for the end of the year, make sure you're on track and, um, yeah, your money goals are, are certainly, uh, High priority for us financial planners. So That's right. <laughs> we would suggest that. Good prescription of the week. And that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Um, you can link to us there, send us your questions, or give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706 739 0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week and great Fourth of July. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 